This episode is a collaboration between Alaska Unsolved and the YouTube channel Northern Crimes. I'll leave a link to the accompanying video in the show notes. On October 7th, 2012, Tomas Sabold sat quietly in a remote Alaskan cabin, writing his thoughts into a journal. The cabin, nestled near the confluence of the Ambler River and Ulaniak Creek, was more than 30 miles from the nearest village, or person for that matter. No roads, no trail, no sign of human contact. This place, located at the southwest edge of Gates of the Arctic National Park and Preserve, was one of the most beautiful yet remote areas in North America. Tomas was exactly where he wanted to be. It was here where the 31-year-old German-born adventurer was coming to the end of an almost six-month journey, something his friends would later describe as, quote, a spiritual quest. Now, over 3,000 miles from his home in Three Lakes, Wisconsin, Tomas was making his final preparations before a planned trek to the village of Kobuk, about 30 miles to the south. Once there, he'd catch a bush plane back to Fairbanks, and from there, a jet flight home. But before leaving the cabin, a place he'd been staying for over a month now, Tomas had one more exploratory quest to make. He jotted into his journal, implying that he would be gone for several days before returning to the cabin. He didn't say exactly where he was headed. Soon thereafter, he set the journal down on the table, shouldered his backpack, and walked out the front door. Tomas Sabold was never heard from or seen again. The town of Three Lakes, population 2,131, sits at the northern edge of Wisconsin and is part of the Chihuahuagon Nicolet National Forest. This area, which encompasses over one and a half million acres, is dotted with countless lakes, dense forest, and hundreds of trails. It's a perfect place for those seeking a life of simplicity, solitude, and quiet. And perhaps that's why in the late 1980s, a man named Dan Conan founded an 80-acre survivalist center there called Teaching Drum Outdoor School. Conan, a Northern European who goes by the name Tamarack Song, was said to have started the school after being, quote, inspired by the directive he received on his vision quest to bring the time-honored ways of living in balance to this time of profound imbalance. Over the years, the school gained a reputation for its immersive courses in primitive living, courses that taught wilderness survival skills including canoeing, shelter building, and making fire with friction. It was this school, and perhaps way of life, that attracted a young German man in the early 2000s. His name was Tomas Sebold. It's not known exactly when he began working for the school, but Tomas did exactly that. After completing a year-long course as a student, 
He reportedly worked as an instructor at teaching drum for five years, and by all accounts, he was extremely close with the folks there. He eventually married a woman affiliated with teaching drum and considered Three Lakes his home. He was described as a, quote, very centered fellow, and by all accounts, was content with his life. But for Tomas, a content life meant a life of constant learning, self-examination, and exploration. And what better place to do that than the wilderness of Alaska? Few resources exist online that recount Tomas's exact route or time frame regarding his quest to Alaska. But at some point in time, in the early or late spring of 2012, Tomas left Three Lakes, Wisconsin, and headed north to Alaska. His father-in-law would later describe the journey as a, quote, pilgrimage. According to news stories, Tomas left Three Lakes and traveled to southeast Alaska, where he reportedly spent some time fishing and learning about the land. From there, he made his way thousands of miles north to the city of Fairbanks, the gateway to Alaska's interior. Once there, Tomas seemed to fall into a rhythm with the land. According to a story by the Alaska Dispatch News, he'd spent the summer on a float trip down the Tanana River, a tributary to the mighty Yukon in the vast interior. During this period, Tomas met and befriended a Swedish woman who offered access to a cabin further north near gates of the Arctic National Park and Preserve. The Alaska Dispatch News story goes on to say, What exactly Sabold was searching for there is hard to say. It's not clear exactly when, but at some point in August or early September, Sabold boarded a bush plane in Fairbanks and chartered a flight to the tiny village of Ambler, which is about 120 miles east of Kotzebue and located just below the southwest edge of Gates of the Arctic National Park and Preserve. Once there, he reconnected with the woman he befriended earlier in the summer, the woman who'd offered the use of her cabin. From Ambler, he would journey with her and her 13-year-old son to their cabin, about 30 or 40 miles up the Ambler River. The next phase of Tomas's quest had begun. Gates of the Arctic, part of the Central Brooks Range, comprises a national park of 7.5 million acres, as well as two national preserves totaling about 950,000 acres. It spans 200 miles wide and 130 miles across the Brooks Range's north and south slopes. It's among the world's largest protected areas. Characterized by rugged peaks, valleys, rivers, and lakes, its elevations reach over 7,000 feet. The short summer and harsh winters nurture a mix of taiga, boreal forest, and arctic tundra. A wide variety of fauna inhabit the park, which is crucial for local subsistence activities. It's by far the most rugged and remote national park and preserve in North America. A trip into this area would be the culmination of Tomas's journey. In early September, 
Tomas, his friend, and her 13-year-old son packed into an outboard-powered canoe and started up the meandering Ambler River. The destination, a cabin about 30 miles upstream near the confluence of Yulaniak Creek. Just south of the border of Gates of the Arctic, this area is incredibly remote, surrounded by towering mountains, rushing rivers, and an abundance of wildlife including bear, moose, and wolves. There's no maintained roads or trails, and it's hard to overstate just how rugged and distant this landscape is. On September 15, the trio reached the cabin. It's unknown exactly how they spent the next few days and weeks, but one fact is certain. They killed and harvested a moose, leaving Tomas with an abundance of meat that could have sustained him well into the winter months. Then, on September 29th, Tomas's friend and her son left the cabin, taking the canoe and heading back to Ambler. Tomas informed her that he'd stay on for another month at the cabin by himself, exploring the surrounding area, practicing his primitive living skills. According to a story by the Alaska Dispatch News, his plan was to, quote, leave the cabin in late October or early November on a hike 30 miles or more southwest to the village of Kobuk. From there, he'd charter a bush plane back to Fairbanks, followed by a jet flight home to Wisconsin. The deadline he gave his friends and family for arriving in Kobuk was November 10th. When the deadline for Tomas's return came and went, his friends and family back in Three Lakes immediately knew something wasn't right. On November 11, Alaska state troopers were contacted and a search for Tomas started on November 12th. But winter had already settled into the Brooks Range. The first story about Tomas's disappearance appeared in the Alaska Dispatch News on November 19. In the first paragraph, the severity of this situation is made clear. Quote, The temperature was 6 degrees below zero on Monday afternoon, already falling toward the 20 below, expected overnight. The harsh reality is that winter had come early that year. A later story from Seth Kantner in the Arctic Sounder stated, quote, That October, people in Kobuk had reported early snow and an early freeze. The flooding rivers had frozen high, creating dangerous shelf ice. Locals knew that traveling alone in those conditions would have been extremely dangerous, if not foolish. In fact, two people from Ambler had died the previous year after falling through river ice. But more information came to light when troopers landed a bush plane at the cabin. Inside, troopers found Tomas's journals, which they shared with his community back in Three Lakes. In a blog post written by his friends at Teaching Drum, they confirmed the following, quote, All items were scanned and emailed to us. In them, he describes his hikes and camping higher in the mountains. He also spoke about cleaning the cabin and preparing firewood for the colder days, meaning he was planning to return to the cabin. He then wrote about his plans to hike to further explore the area, and that's where the letters end. The last day in his dream journal was October 7th. 
Troopers also stated that he was not carrying a gun at the time of his disappearance, a fact confirmed when they found two rifles at the cabin. Tomas's friend, who'd left the cabin with her son in late September, confirmed that they had indeed harvested a moose, a fact that was verified when troopers found a bounty of meat in a food cache. She also confirmed the type of gear he had, including, quote, Steger mucklucks, Sorel boots with light-colored bottoms, and two sleeping bags. One was orange. She also stated he carried matches and described him as being, quote, very capable. All of this was good information, but searchers were still left with the question, where did he go? Further digging would uncover more information. In another blog post from Tomas's community, dated November 20, 2012, the following clues were disclosed. 1. A missing map section that Tomas may have with him indicates he had an interest in exploring the headwaters of the Ameliac, Amakamanek, Cutler, and Redstone Rivers, along with the Ambler to the north of the cabin. 2. When the cabin owner left, Tomas handed her a book he had just finished reading, The Last Light Breaking by Nick Jans. A well-worn section describes the traditional Eskimo routes through the same headwaters area as on the missing map. 3. Area residents told Tomas alluring stories of the headwaters area's beauty and wildlife, and Tomas read several other books on the area. 4. A quote from Tomas's last diary entry, quote, After I've read a lot about this area, it's exciting to actually be here and to see the things with my own eyes. Armed with these insights, troopers and other volunteers decided to focus their searches further up the Ambler River Valley. A few days later, they found a curious clue, which was highlighted in another blog post from Tomas's community. Quote, After three days of searching, one plane found a circle drawn on a gravel bar far up the Ambler River, eight miles north of Ulaniac Creek. They landed and checked out whether it could be the O from an SOS, yet found no indication that the circle was connected to sending an alarm sign. Tomas could have made the sign for himself to mark a place where he left provisions. Because the circle has such strong meaning to Tomas, we think there's a high likelihood that he etched the sign. Search planes indeed searched the area and surrounding valleys in the following days, but to no avail. Tomas Sabold had seemingly vanished into the Alaskan wilderness without a trace. Toward the end of November, some of Tomas's close friends from Three Lakes came to Alaska to personally help with the search, an experience they again shared in their blog. Quote, No words can describe the unfathomable beauty of this country or the experience that we now share with those who have been searching before us. But despite this hope, the reality of the situation was grim. Daylight by this time had reduced to three hours a day, with temperatures dropping to 20 below zero. After the 13th day of the search, and with the weather worsening and resources dwindling, the Alaska State Troopers officially ended their search. To this day, what happened to Tomas Sabold remains a mystery. 
To try and understand what could have happened to Tomas, it's important to first try and understand his preparation, knowledge, and mental state during the time of his disappearance. It's easy watching YouTube videos from the comfort of our homes to be critical of unique individuals like Tomas Sabold. In fact, many have compared Tomas's journey to Alaska as similar to that of Christopher McCandless, who lost his life outside of Denali National Park in 1992. But to me, that's where most of the similarities end. Where McCandless appeared to be impulsive and hastily prepared, Sabold was calm, meticulous, and well-equipped. And where McCandless walked by himself into the wilderness, Sabold was accompanied by a seasoned Alaskan who surely imparted local knowledge along the way and provided him with a warm cabin. He also had a strong community of friends and family in Three Lakes that more or less knew his plans. Where McCandless was starving off a dwindling bag of rice, plant roots, and the occasional squirrel, Tomas was sitting on a food cache with hundreds of pounds of moose meat. And let's not forget... Tomas was a seasoned wilderness survival instructor, armed with years of bushcraft knowledge that included foraging, shelter building, and creating fire with friction, just to name a few. Tomas had devoured countless books about the gates of the Arctic area, and had sought advice and stories from local inhabitants. He also had fairly detailed topographic maps, which could have greatly increased his ability to travel long distances and not get lost. I think it's a fair assessment to say that Tomas had good survival knowledge and that he was prepared. By all accounts, Tomas was a centered and grounded person. Oftentimes, people who come to Alaska are running from something, but Tomas was running to something an experience that would enrich his life and make him more connected to the landscape. But despite his solo journey, he remained close and connected with his friends and family back in Three Lakes. They were aware of his travels, the areas he was exploring, and they communicated about dates he would be returning. As far as we know, he had every intention of returning home. He also seemed to make friends easily in Alaska, for example, the woman he traveled with to the cabin near Ulaniak Creek later reported that he was, quote, quite capable. Another local from Ambler who met Tomas stated he was a, quote, real nice guy. And then there's his journal entries. Although the contents of his writing have never been made public, they were shared with his friends and family in Three Lakes. They in turn shared certain details on a blog during the search for Tomas and one thing is clear. His last journal entry on October 7 indicated that he intended to explore for a few days, then return to the cabin. Tomas was not on a one-way death wish in the wilderness. He had every intention of returning to the cabin, then returning home. Before looking at potential routes that may have led to Tomas's disappearance, it's worth acknowledging something. Unless you've actually been to the untracked wilderness of Alaska and seen the vastness of the landscape firsthand, it's almost impossible to understand the scale of the place. Gates of the Arctic National Park and Preserve is literally the size of some U.S. states. 
It's a massive area with very few roads, trails, or any indication that humans exist. Despite the quote 13-day search by Alaska state troopers and the dozens of volunteers who helped look for Tomas, locating any trace of him in this area would in actuality be like finding a needle in a haystack. So let's look at some potential routes he might have taken. We know that at the end of October or early November, Tomas planned to make the 30-mile trek south to the village of Kobuk. From there, he planned to charter a bush plane back to Fairbanks. Tomas's intended route from the cabin would have taken him south along the Ambler River, most likely traveling the gravel bars and through the woods. If it was frozen, which seems unlikely, he could have traveled on the river itself. From there, he'd cross the Ambler Lowlands until he reached the Shugnak River, which he'd somehow need to cross. From there, he'd head for a tractor trail that led to the small mining site called Bornite. He'd then follow a rough trail through the Cosmos Hills until he reached Kobuk. Presumably, Tomas could have easily traveled this route in about two or three days, but ultimately, that would depend on conditions. Temperatures in that area during early to mid-October hovered above and below freezing, around 30 degrees Fahrenheit. This means that although it could have been snowing, the rivers and lowlands were likely not frozen, and this could have made travel very difficult. But that's assuming you think Tomas was heading toward Kobuk after his last journal entry on October 7. Based on the evidence, I think that's unlikely. What's more likely is that Tomas was exploring an area around the cabin, further up the Ambler River, north or west of Ulaniak Creek. Based on the evidence, we know that Tomas had cut out part of a topographic map that focused on a number of headwaters including the Ameliak, the Amakamanek, Cutler, and Redstone Rivers, along with the Ambler to the north of the cabin. We know that Tomas expressed interest in exploring these areas and perhaps wanted to explore the remote Noatak River Valley. We also know that a large rock circle was discovered eight miles north of Ulaniak Creek, a signal Tomas's friends believe he made. Was it part of an SOS signal? Or was it some sort of landmarker he could use to spot from higher up in the mountains or valleys? Unfortunately, we can only speculate as to what this means. But based on the evidence, I believe it's more likely that Tomas was in this general area when he disappeared. The harsh reality is that it's been 11 years since Tomas disappeared. The chances of him being alive somewhere are slim to non-existent. In fact, people who were searching for Tomas in November and December of 2012 believed he was already dead, based on the fact that winter was in full effect, with temperatures in the area dipping to 30 below zero. No person could survive long in conditions like that. So, let's look at some potential causes of death.
The areas where Tomas was exploring are extremely remote, with no human-made roads or trails. Tomas was only traveling with his recent knowledge of the area and, most likely, the maps he was carrying. That said, if Tomas was exploring one of the valleys outside of the Ambler River, or if he had somehow pushed beyond the limits of his maps, it's conceivable that he could have become disoriented and gotten lost. As calm as grounded as Tomas was, getting lost does strange things to people, most notably leading them to panic. If Tomas started to panic, this could have led to poor decision-making, which could have led to him becoming more lost. Traveling alone is dangerous, especially considering the remote nature of where Tomas was. Additionally, the terrain where he was exploring is extremely rough, ranging from rushing rivers and creeks, loose and unstable scree, and steep slopes and cliff bands. If Tomas twisted an ankle or broke a leg, he could have become incapacitated with little or no hope of getting himself back to safety. It's hard to pinpoint what the weather was doing since we don't know exactly where Tomas was on or around October 7th. But weather records in the surrounding areas indicated the weather during that time was cloudy, with temperatures hovering around freezing or 30 degrees Fahrenheit. That said, if Tomas was traveling north of the cabin and exploring the higher valleys, temperatures could have been extremely colder. If you add in the elements of wind, rain, or snow alongside an injury, it's easy to see how Thomas could have expired from exposure. During the Alaskan winters, especially in remote areas of the state, rivers become highways, particularly for people traveling on snow machines. The problem with this theory is that Tomas's last communication in his journal was October 7th, which means the likelihood of surrounding rivers being frozen is highly unlikely. That said, if Tomas was hiking in the higher country, either toward the headwaters of the Ambler River or the numerous valleys in the area, snow and ice could have been more prevalent. It is conceivable that he could have fallen through ice covering a pond or a lake or fallen into a crevasse next to a large boulder. The area where Tomas was exploring is abundant with wildlife, including brown bears, caribou, moose, and wolves, just to name a few. Although brown bear attacks are rare, they do occur almost every year in Alaska. Also, the time of year Tomas was exploring is the time of year bears are attempting to pack on calories for the long hibernation that will occur over the winter. If a bear isn't adequately nourished, it might feel more desperate, which could lead to an attack. Conversely, Tomas could have stumbled onto a moose or caribou kill. If a brown bear was protecting that territory, it could have led to a mauling. Another possibility, though extremely unlikely, would be being attacked by a pack of wolves. In fact, a woman was killed by a wolf just two years before, not far from where Tomas was. That said, wolf attacks, particularly towards humans, are almost as rare 
as getting struck by lightning. In the years that Tomas disappeared, life in Alaska continues on. But the Ambler River Valley, where Tomas spent his last days, remains mostly unchanged. The Teaching Drum Outdoor School is still offering immersive courses to people wanting to learn the art of wilderness living and survival. I imagine the stories of Tomas are told through laughter, smiles, and tears around the campfires. What happened to Tomas Sebold in the wilderness of Alaska remains unknown, but his spirit lives on through his community back in Three Lakes and the Alaskan lives he touched on his final journey. Perhaps Tomas is remembered most eloquently by one of his friends through words written in a blog post during the search back in 2012. My heart tenaciously continued to spread a net of love filling every crevice with a call for Tomas, listening intently for any little catch on the fabric. Nothing in everything. Nothing because I didn't catch one singular tug that pointed me in a particular direction. Everything because every spruce, every cranny, every nuance of color in the ribbons of streams and rock and texture of snow, every wisp of cloud and blue sky, every fleeting bird and caribou track called back, I am here. I am here. <laughs>